Well, good morning, BCBC family. For those that may not know who I am, I am Brad Wurzel. I am the student ministry pastor here, and Pastor Dan asked me to teach on this particular topic that we're going to be covering this morning, so I'm super excited about it. Uh, if you are just joining us this week, we are going through a series called Basic Christianity, and we have a book for you that we'd like you to be able to read, and so you can pick that book up actually at the end of the service if you go through the double doors look like right next to you as you go out and there's a book for you to be able to read with us so this week we're going to be covering chapter 10 and the title of this chapter is reaching a decision and so i'm super excited about this particular topic it's very near and dear to my heart and here's the truth that really i want us to take home with us today that god is inviting you with open arms to come to him. And I'll say that again, because I don't want us to miss this. God is inviting you with open arms to come to him. And so the way in which I think that we're going to be able to accomplish that today is reading from Acts chapter 9, and at the very end, we're going to jump to Acts chapter 28. So if you want, you can start turning there. Acts chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 to start off. And the first thing that I want us to realize is that everyone has a starting point in reaching a decision about Christ. Everyone has a different starting point at which they come to reaching a decision about Christ. Why do I say that? Well, because we're going to be introduced to a man named Saul. And why is he important? What is his starting point in reaching a decision about Christ? Well, go ahead and look at verse 1 with me. It says this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of many followers, any followers, of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So here we're introduced to Saul, and you need to understand some background to Saul. He is extremely passionate about the Hebrew law, extremely passionate. And if you can't tell that, I mean, just look at verses 1 and 2. But I also say this, Saul is what I would call a thoroughbred Hebrew. So just like we have thoroughbred stallions in like race, horse racing, this would be a thoroughbred Hebrew. Why do I say that? Because Saul first was circumcised on the eighth day. This was a custom that the Hebrew law would always say to do. He was a member of the tribe of Benjamin, which if you don't know anything about that tribe, many great historical people came from that tribe. And then not only that, it, I mean, just those two things he could have said, hey, I'm a pretty good Hebrew person, but then he also was a member of the Pharisees which was the elite of the elite in the Hebrew order. And so he's got all of these different things to define who he is. He is a Hebrew through and through. And yet we see here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 9 that Saul is on this manhunt for Christians because he feels like Christ is opposing the Hebrew law. And he feels like it's a threat to the Hebrew order. 
And so he's out on this manhunt. He's headed over to Damascus because he wants to arrest people, throw them in prison, or have them killed. And so we, we step into this moment where Saul is so opposed to Christ. This is a man that we would look at and we would say he's extremely passionate, extremely passionate for the Hebrew law, and yet he's missing the very person that the Hebrew law was talking about. He's missing the very Savior that the Old Testament was talking about who was going to come. And so I look at this and I go, sometimes I see myself in Saul. Sometimes I see a little bit of Saul in the way in which I live my life, where I can be extremely passionate about things of life, but sometimes miss the creator of that life, where I can be so passionate for God's word, but then miss the God who created that word. And so that's why I I feel like I want to start off with my own story of what it means that everyone has a different starting point in reaching a decision about Christ. So we're going to take it way back. We're going to take it to elementary school for me. Um, and I mean, I'm rocking the, the shorts and the long socks with the, the shoes that should not go with that outfit. Um, but I look at this picture, and I think back to that moment, and it's really special for me. Because in that time of life, I was uh, in elementary school, and I remember coming home from a, a, we called it Club 252, it was our Wednesday night children's ministry here at this church, and I remember the topic that we talked about that night was hell, and the fact that when you don't know who Jesus is, and you haven't reached that decision of coming to know who he is, then your destination is hell, and for me as a little kid, I mean, it scared me, but also it got me thinking, like, who is Jesus? Why do they say that he's so important to have in your life? And so I came home, and I remember my dad was there, and I said, Dad, like, can you tell me a little bit more about Jesus? Because for me, my, my whole family grew up in the church. My family was passionate about Jesus. But I was starting to realize that just because my family was passionate about Jesus didn't mean that I was. It didn't mean that Jesus was personal to me yet. And so I had a conversation with my dad of saying, Dad, what does it mean to really love Jesus? to have him in your life. And so he sat down with me, he talked with me that night of sharing like, this is what Jesus did for you. He died for you, he loves you, he rose again because he defeated death, he defeated your sin, and now he wants to have that relationship restored with you. And I remember coming to the end of that in my elementary mind and my dad said, do you want to come to know who Jesus is? And I said, yeah, I do. And my dad in that moment prayed with me, and that was probably one of the most special moments of my entire life. Where I came to know who Jesus was personally, I reached that decision personally for me. My starting point was in a Christian home. My starting point was living in the church. My starting point was seeing other people who were passionate about Jesus. But that's not the storyline of every person. Your storyline might be you weren't in the church at all. You're here today for the first time, and this is your moment that you're being exposed to what it means to even know who Jesus is. And so we all have different starting points at where we start in our relationship with Jesus. And yet, 
God is inviting you with open arms to come to him. So then, what is holding you back from accepting him? And I want us to think through that. If you are here today and this is a moment where you're saying, I don't know if I've reached that decision. And maybe you've been here with us on this whole journey of the basic Christianity and you've been hearing all these things, asking hard questions. That's good. But now what are you going to do with it? So what's holding you back from accepting him? But then Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 19, shows us the next step for Saul's journey. He's on the manhunt. He's heading towards Damascus. He's been given approval to arrest Christians. But then, the amazing truth is that God will meet you where you're at. And take a look at verse 3 and see what I mean by that. It says this, As he was approaching Damascus on his mission... A light from heaven suddenly shone down on him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do next. I love this moment. Because here Saul is revealing to us a couple of the things that he's feeling. He's showing us raw emotion, and he's showing us also some of his awestruckness that he's experiencing. Because he says right here in verse 4, he fell to the ground and was so overcome by what he was experiencing. Have you ever had a moment where you all of a sudden fall on the ground because of, you're so overcome by something? Typically, we don't experience that like level of awestruckness. But here, Saul is face down on the ground because of what he's hearing and seeing. But then, not only that, he says a statement that's really important. Who are you, Lord? Lord is a a very important word because it shows that you understand that person or thing has power and authority. And here, Saul in this moment is saying, who are you, Lord? Because he recognizes that this voice has power and authority. And so he's recognizing that, he's submitting to it, and he's saying, who are you? But then Jesus here steps in. I mean, think about this. Literally, Jesus knows all things that are happening right now. He knows that Saul is on the very war path to go kill his followers. And yet Jesus steps into this moment and he says something. I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. He recognizes and he reveals to Saul in this moment that you claim that I have power and authority And I'm also Jesus, the one that you've been so opposed to. But then he says, you need to change your course. You need to change your war path. And then you need to go into the city and then you need to wait. Wait for my instructions. And so verse 7 continues on and it says this. The men with Saul stood speechless. For they heard the voice, or the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. And Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. 
And so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. And now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul. He is praying to me right now. And I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming, laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And now he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So here we see that Saul is and his men are, are speechless by what they've just experienced. And, and here Saul is getting up off the ground, and he's about ready to, all right, let's keep going, and he's blind. Now, I want you to think about this. How hard would it be to go arrest people when you're blind? Yeah, it's not easy. And I think it was very intentional that the Lord blinded him because it made him stop in his tracks. And it didn't allow him to take any step forward anymore because now he's forced to have to do what the Lord is saying. And yet there's so much compassion that Jesus has in this moment. And then enters Ananias. He walks on scene. And it's really interesting when we look at Ananias because here he is, he's bringing restoration for Saul's vision but yet, I would say even more importantly, his life. That Ananias is about to bring the gospel in a new, fresh way for Saul. However, even in this moment, Ananias isn't foolish in what he's heard. I mean, he, he acknowledges the fact of, Lord, have you heard about this person? This guy's going and he's killing people like me. I have probably a 100% chance of going to him and he's going to kill me or at very best arrest me. And so Ananias, he shares the fact of his concerns. Jesus, do you know who this person is? And yet God sees the whole picture of Saul's life. He looks at the overarching theme of Saul and says, this is a moment, but I have something so much more planned for him. Because look at verse 15, it says this, but the Lord said, Go, for Saul is chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people, all the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. See, God wants Saul in this moment where he's at to realize where he is and then to call him to a life that will radically change the world for Christ. This is an amazing moment for Saul. Because he's about to have life transformation that's going to not only impact himself, but the world at large. So Ananias, we're not going to look at this, but verses 17 through 19, Ananias finally goes. And he uh, comes and he tells Saul what's up. And Saul says, you know what, I want to know who Christ is. And so he becomes baptized. He eats food again. And he starts to get ready for his, his calling on his life. 
See, Saul was in a moment where he was opposing Christ, and God invited Saul with open arms to come to him. I want to jump ahead a little bit in my life. Um, this was sixth grade for me. Uh, very different hairstyle now than that time. But I look at this moment just like my moment in elementary school, and it's special to me. Because what's happening in this is that God is working very deeply in my heart. I realized that I accepted who Christ was. I reached my decision of who I thought Jesus was in elementary school. But it wasn't really personal for me yet, probably just because of my, where I was mentally at that age. But when I got to sixth grade, I really started feeling like God was laying on my heart, this is who I want you to be. And I had a mentor in my life, the youth pastor that was here, and he started to ask the questions of why all the time, and it frustrated me. Because I was like, who cares why? But then I started to realize by answering the whys, I started to understand what I truly believe. And going from that moment, I felt like God in this moment was saying, I want you to now go and go into ministry full time. And that's not the calling of everyone's life, but that was the calling of my life. And I felt it very passionately in sixth grade. And so I started to look at my life as a mission field. And I get to go out and I get to share the love of Jesus with people all around me. And so I, I, that was the moment where Christ met me where I was at and started to transform my life to who I was going to become. So where's God meeting you at today? The reality is we have a lot of people in this room. You might be here God is meeting you at, and you are passionate for Jesus. You are changing the world. You might be here today, and God is meeting you at a place where you have reached a decision of who Jesus is, and you love him, but you don't feel transformed by him. Maybe you're here today, and you haven't reached a decision of who Jesus is. And God's meeting you in this moment to work in your heart and to show you who he is. The amazing thing is, is God meets us wherever we're at. And I think Saul is the biggest example of that because he was literally on the warpath to kill Christians. And yet God met him there. That's an amazing thing for us today. So now we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump to chapter 28 of Acts. And this is a moment where much time has passed for Saul. Saul, once he came to know who Christ was, changed his name to Paul. And basically, Saul was a Hebrew name. But he knew that his calling on his life was to go reach the Gentiles. And so he changed his name to Paul, which was the same name, basically, but just in Roman, Greek um, verbiage now. So he changed his name to Paul. And we start to see an amazing thing is when you reach a decision about who Christ is, your life will never be the same again. And here, jumping ahead as many chapters as we are, we're, it looks like only a few pages, but this is his entire life that he is walking through. And now we land in chapter 28, and this is his moment where he's starting to look at the end of his life. See, here, Paul is drawing to the close of his life, and he was arrested 
for preaching the gospel, and he actually is a Roman citizen. So Roman citizens have the opportunity, when they are arrested, to give their final case. And they are able to go do it to Caesar. And so here, he's arrested, he's being taken to Rome, now he's in Rome, and he has that final opportunity to share whatever is on his heart left. And so, of course, Paul, having been transformed by Christ, shares his final statements, his passion for Jesus to the world. And so here we step into Acts chapter 28, and we look at, I want to I zoom into verse 23, and it says this, So a time was set, and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging, he explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Jump down to verse 30 and it continues. It says, For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ and no one tried to stop him. Here's the amazing reality. When we jump years, decades beyond that moment on the road to Damascus, here God's message to Ananias was fulfilled. That here God was saying, one day when you look at all of Paul's life, he is going to be radically transformed and impacting the world in amazing ways. And we see that. He literally got to speak to Caesar, who is the most dominating and powerful individual of that time period, Rome. And he's getting to speak to all types of people. It says that there were palace guards that were being, coming to know Christ because of Paul being chained there. And so these people are being completely transformed, the Gentiles and the kings and I love looking at Paul's life because Paul experienced so much life transformation in people. He got to experience people being spiritually revived. He got to see people being physically revived. He got to see people being emotionally revived. And it all began with him reaching a decision of who Jesus was and coming to God who had his arms open wanting him to come. Paul would never have anticipated in his life that God was going to work on that road to Damascus. And yet he did. And the world is better because of it. So here's the reality. Maybe you've been along in this series, and this is the moment where we're talking about reaching a decision. I want to say from what I've personally experienced and I know from countless other people that have accepted Christ, it's scary to come to that decision. It is. Because when you say, God, I'm all in, it means commitment. It also means risk. It means you looking at your life and laying down and saying, I want to be humble in a world that is not. It means that you are looking at other individuals, even individuals that you may not particularly like, but having to build them up either way because Christ has called you to do that. Or it means persecution from others. 
Sometimes reaching that decision to come to know who Christ is, is scary. Yet it's the best thing that can ever happen to you. Personally, I've experienced that. It's the best thing that can ever happen to you. And so I, I picked these. It really was hard to narrow down to six pictures. But I think each one of these tells a story of why your life will never be the same when you come to know Christ. Because up here on the bottom right-hand corner is my wife and I. And I have experienced how coming to know who Christ is means that I have to treat my wife certain ways well. That I have to love her. That I have to lay down my life for her. That I have to be sacrificial and humble. On the other side, on the bottom or left-hand corner, is my family. And I've learned that reaching a decision about Christ means that I have to look at my life and say, how can I build up my family so they love Jesus too? That one day my son will say, Daddy, I want to love Jesus as much as you do. Up on the top right-hand corner, that's all of us wearing our Amplify shirts for our student ministry. God called me back in sixth grade to want to do student ministry. And I answered that call. And it's been amazing. We've had eight students within the past couple of months accept Christ. And I get to be a part of that. Then the top left-hand corner is me having fun, doing my hobby, hiking, biking, anything you add into it. I love the outdoors. And yet, when I do those things, I get to experience Jesus in new ways, where I've seen, I've been, breath, my breath taken away from me, where I've seen amazing things around me and said, wow, God exists. And then the two pictures in the middle I could add so many more of those, but for me, coaching, I've coached basketball, football, track, cross country. All of those different moments have opened up because God's created avenues for me to be able to share Jesus with those students, to live a life of what it looks like to love Jesus. And it's been cool to see how those students have now all of a sudden been showing up in our ministry just because they know who I am. And then all of a sudden to get to continue to share Jesus and incredible ways with them and see them come to know who he is to reach a decision so i share these stories because this topic of reaching a decision will transform your life in incredible ways and though it's scary it's worth it so here's what i like to do with my students now what because I always say to them, it's not, like, it's pointless for us to talk about all this stuff, but not to actually have life change take place. It's one thing to read the Bible and walk away from it and never have it do anything to your life. That's pretty much worthless. The Bible needs to transform your life. And so some of you, maybe, majority of you probably in here are today going, Brad, this is a great message. I've already reached that decision. <laughs> but the reality is, what do you do now? Well, you've reached the decision, but now you get to go. You get to impact the world and see God work in amazing ways. And that gets me excited because I look at everyone in this room, and if you've reached that decision, how many people can be changed? One guy was changed and able to reach an entire nation. 
because of it. And yet, to think of what could happen if all of us go and we live out Jesus in the world, how many people could be changed? Secondly, maybe some of you are in this room today and you're saying, you know what, I've been reading through this basic Christianity and I'm not, like, I want to reach a decision about who Jesus is. I'm just not sure when I want to do it. Well, the reality is we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Tomorrow could be our last day. Today could be our last day. We just don't know. And so my call to you is don't wait. Reach that decision today and accept who Jesus is. And then finally, like I already said earlier, what is holding you back from accepting him? I I think it's good to be able to look at your life, determine what makes you nervous about accepting Jesus, identify it, and then determine what tips you over to the edge to accept Jesus. Because the reality is that Jesus is standing with arms open wide and he wants you to come to him. And then experience the amazing life transformation that can come from it. So let me go ahead. I want to pray for us. If you're here today, I want to offer up this opportunity with the topic of reaching a decision. And you're saying, you know what? I feel like God has been working in my heart over the last weeks of us going through this series, or maybe God's just working in your heart. You just showed up today, and you feel like you want to come to know who Jesus is personally. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, power and authority, and then you declare with your mouth or sorry, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. So actually, accepting who Jesus is is very easy. It's you saying, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm actually very flawed. I've turned away from God. And then Jesus intervenes. He dies for my sins, rises from the dead, and then offers up this new relationship restored. If you're here today and you want to accept that, then just merely say to God, I'm sorry for the sins that I've committed, and I want to live for you through Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity for me to be up here. It's not not the words that I say that have any impact. It's the words that you say that have impact. So God, I ask that this morning, if there are those in this room who who are wanting to reach a decision or haven't reached a decision or just did reach a decision, I ask that you would Bring alongside people who can be able to build them up, to encourage them in their journey. God, I pray for the rest who have reached a decision of you. I ask that you would set them on fire for you. 
God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be working in their life powerfully. And that people can't help come to know Jesus just because they're in the room. Thank you, God, for this place. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this church body. And I ask that all of these things that we have said and heard would be done in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, again, thank you. I'm excited that I was able to be up here today. If you uh, want to continue on this journey this week, read chapter 10, and then we look forward to seeing you all next week.